0: This is BC Spirit, your look at the province's burgeoning distilling culture. Welcome back to BC Spirit, your number one authority of distilleries and spirits in British Columbia. Uh, this week, guys, I've got uh, Clay Porter from uh, Moon Underwater, and we chat about beer, distilling, the crazy things that he does over there, like his green and red shizu vodka, which I absolutely adore. Um, if you haven't seen Spirit of Day, you've missed out then. Um, great episode, I just love right now hanging out with distillers and sort of... Seeing where they're at and what they're doing and how life is, especially during the pandemic. But I hope you really enjoyed this episode, guys. Thanks for all the support. I love you. See you next week. Bye. So you've been working like a beast I here. Yeah, yeah. It's been been a little bit of a gong show the last uh, last few weeks. <laughs> Has it been good? Have you been staying busy though? In in relative speaking.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It's been better than expected for sure. Yeah, we've been getting tons of support, and uh, yeah, the beer sales have been keeping up in the brewery, so that's been been uh, keeping up a lot of my time. Uh, the distillery sales have been great too, so and sanitizer. <laughs> I suppose it's a little bit different when you when you have to when you have to bottle something
0: that would normally go into kegs. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Doing cans yeah. and bottles of a twenty liter keg is a little bit different, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kegs are uh, kegs are easy, yeah. So we lose that. We, we we're you know brewing maybe half the mount, but uh, the amount of work has gone up for sure. <laughs> so. And are you doing it solo too? I was at the beginning, um, and then I had my head brewer staying on part time, and then he quickly went full time. And then uh my other two guys that I laid off, one of them's back now full time as well. So oh, wow, and I've got cool. I've got cooks in the kitchen um helping out on the bottling line and canning line now, so nice. everybody's uh yeah, pitching in 'cause yeah, we just kinda shut things down for a bit and then it it uh it just didn't really slow down and all of a sudden I was way behind so been a bit of a <laughs> panic, uh a little in. sparkle of hope. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: And are you guys looking at reopening when everything gets kicked off again?
1: Yeah, I think so. We're kind of going back and forth on it. Um, I mean, we're doing takeout as well. Um, As I said, things have been good. It's just been, you know, limited hours, limited menu. Mm -hmm. Um, The the home delivery is going well. Um, Yeah, I think we'll... We're hoping, you know, the, the word is the patios are going to be the safest way mm-hmm. to do it, and it, that's what's going to be approved first. So we're looking at setting up kind of like a big beer garden patio right, in should, the parking lot. Just use that massive car park, yeah. Exactly, yeah. I mean, we, it's funny, you know, when we when we are trying to open up the distillery lounge, they wouldn't let us open because of parking. And we have 32 <laughs> spots, and they told us that wasn't enough. And uh. Uh, we fought it for... I don't know how long it was, 18 months or something. And then we finally got approved because they, they redid the parking rules and now we only need five spots for the whole, for the brewery, distillery, pub, I've everything.
0: N- I've never understood that So I know that the, um, uh, the, the, the pub down in Cook Street Village had the same issues. Yeah. And I'm like, well, why are you, con- why are you saying that you need car spots, which
1: in turn means people drove yeah, to oh, your establishment God. to drink? No sense. And what it was that this antiquated rules that went back to, there's a downtown core that's exempt from parking rules, uh, which is why you can have, you know, 1,100 seats of the Strath or whatever with <laughs> no parking. Uh, but as soon as you're outside that zone, which is, you know, right where sort of Phillips is outside of the zone, mm-hmm. uh, then, then you're considered a neighborhood pub and you have to have a parking spot for every. Three seats, I think it is. And you're on the Victoria side. You're not even on the Esquimalt
0: side. No, that's right. right. Yeah, you're literally on the outskirts
1: of Victoria. Oh yeah, And Victoria just has this weird rule, and they just they, they every time we talked to the city, they said, "Don't worry, like you know, don't even apply for a parking exemption because we're going to get rid of this rule, and we're pushing, we're pushing <laughs> bike lanes, and we're pushing all this." And so every time, every time there was a council meeting, we, so they were like, "Oh yeah, we're going to vote on it. We're going to vote on it." I just got pushed back for. Damn near two years, so Jesus, I know how that feels. Yeah, I've
0: uh, <laughs> I've been with Marydale since twenty, I want to say late twenty seventeen, maybe yeah. early twenty eighteen, for their new space, and oh. that and that and in Vic West and uh, that was supposed to be done and dusted by now. Yeah. So like right. my a two year project is now probably going to be looking closer to five years something, oh, which is. There's a certain point where your contract is like, yeah, this is not really worth the money that I've put up for this one at all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, me too. So let's let's kick it off. Uh, I'm going to, I, when I do my podcast, I just roll into it and just catch up because I think I'm actually been helping, like, I've had phone calls from actually quite big publications and PR companies recently about how I do my podcast, which I find really weird because I don't think I do anything... Yeah. I don't think I <laughs> do anything <laughs> oh, overly special. See. But uh, I like to just keep it organic. Like, I don't ask questions. I don't research. Um, I like to sort of just let it pl- play out because I find the person I'm interviewing always opens up a little bit better. So um, sure. So how, like, you weren't the original owners of
1: Moon Underwater, were you? No. Oh. No, no, we bought it uh, after about a year and a half of them being opened. Uh, was the bottom Don and Bonnie Bradley originally, mm-hmm. and they were uh, an older couple, um, that had opened it up as sort of an English style brew pub. Uh huh. Um, and I think what happened was they just, you know, they, they had been in the industry for a long time. They started up Bowen Island Brewing okay, back in the 80s, and they, they sold it off. I think they sold it to Molson actually, back when the big breweries actually bought up craft breweries, <laughs> and uh. Yeah, they just went from they they had the great success with that, sold it off, made a bunch of money, invested in their wineries, uh, and they were saying, you know, when they bought their their grapes from the Okanagan, their 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 vineyard, they were getting like ten cents, a, I can't remember what it was, ten cents a pound or something, and then it was like six dollars a pound by the time they ended,
0: and then mm. they sold
1: that off to another big wine group, I think Mark Anthony Group. And then uh, yeah, so they just were really successful twice, and then they were kind of bored and had some other small businesses, and decided that their retirement job would be uh, a brewer pub, and uh, it just was a little bit too much for uh, for them to, to bite off.
0: Well, I think also was like it's kind of funny because I remember when Moon Underwater opened, it was like counter service only, and everybody was like yeah. up in arms about that, and then the Drake oh, yeah. opens. And yes. the drakes turned it to the norm. I just think they were ahead of their time. Like exactly, everybody yeah. like, they opened in a, a time of like high IBU IPAs, and they're like, yes. we're just going to make English ESBs and and low elk low elk beers. And uh, now everybody's screaming for that
1: sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like the perfect model. Now it's funny; it we've come full circle because we're just going to be counter service, even if we do open up. We, you know, we're mm-hmm. we're cutting right back, and we'll just we'll just have a bartender and. And do take out outside and counter service, so <laughs>
0: I'm used to that in Australia. So like that's that's <laughs> great. Yeah. It's atypical Australian like this service. Yeah. Um so what year did you take that over? Uh two thousand twelve. Okay. Oh wow. Yeah. Really that long already? That long
1: yeah. Yeah, so eight wow. years. Holy crap. I know. I didn't, think yeah. it was, I didn't think it was that long. Well, they started at end of end of two thousand ten, I think it was. Wow. Yeah, and we took over um, August
0: 2012. So let's let's line it back up into the spirit section. Um, yeah. What made you? I remember. I think it was two or three years ago. I came down and shaved my head in, in your car park for uh, a fundraiser with Brian Chapman.
1: Nice, and,
0: right. Yeah, and you were talking about <laughs> the, the distillery then. Um, what made you, it's an obvious transition for a lot of people, but uh, what made you want to move into the distilling side of things? Because you've been r- ridiculously successful with your beers. You've created a brand that people really follow, and, and you have a loyal following for people that uh, want
1: to drink your beer, obviously. So what made you go into the foray of distilling? Uh, it was a combination of things. You know, It was always in the back of my mind. I did my master's over in Scotland, so... Um, I spent a lot of time in the distilleries, in the, the Scotch whiskey distilleries. Uh, I did my diploma in, in distilling from uh, IBD, I, um, so it was always sort of something that I wanted to eventually get into. Um, I had the home moonshine still for for ten years, uh, messing around, messing around with mostly whiskeys. Um, and then it came to a point, you know, we had a five year anniversary. Uh, the lease was coming up on the space in front of us, which was the modern beauty supply shop. So (laughs) remember that it was a a, sort of a a supplier for salons. They had like a showroom and then they had a, a tile hairdressing teaching room in the back. And then they had a big warehouse. So I had my eye on that warehouse for the brewery because we were running out of space and we need to really Mm -hmm. improve our, our cold storage. Um, and then we had this, you know, this street front display room, but it was separated from the pub. So, you know, it, we couldn't just make an extension of the pub. And then it had this piled, you know, back room. Um, and at that same time, there was a lot of breweries opening up. So the Moon Underwater was the 50th brewery to open in D.C. Um, and now I don't even know where we're at now. I know we're over 200. So um, wow. in the short time that we've... We've opened, uh, you know, there's been three times as many, you 150 plus breweries opened up. So so I was already sort of seeing the, you know, we were growing a lot at the beginning and then the growth was sort of slowing because breweries were just opening up like crazy. Um, and our brew house itself is not a, it's not a production brewery, you know, it's designed for a, a brew pub. Mm-hmm. And the way we brew the beer, decoction brewing, sort of some old school German styles, you know, it takes one person a full shift to brew a beer. Uh, So it's not, we just can't pop it out and compete with the big boys like the Phillips and the Driftwoods and that. Um, So, you know, we kind of got to the point where I had to decide whether to expand the brewery or go in a different avenue. And it just seemed like the stars were aligning for a distillery in that space.
0: Hmm. And you've you've done a lot of, I'm not sure where you get the time. I know people ask me this all the time as well, but you've, you've put out a lot of, Different skews over a pretty short period. When did you start distilling?
1: Um, yeah, I guess we're will be three years this this winter. Yeah, because you put out so a yeah, lot not, of not quite three years yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's the same model with my you know home distilling. I just like trying a lot of different things. You know, I'm still I've got a, a couple different spills back there, and they're quite small. And um, it's really been a bit of a like a, just a fun project for me lately. So um, you know, now that the brewery's more established, I've got a, I've got a good crew of people back there that I trust to run it, and I've I've managed to actually divide about half of my time over to the distillery. So um, experimenting different different kinds of spirits, different flavors. Um, what's been most your, your favorite? Uh, the new favorite? Yeah. Um, I mean the gins are definitely making a big a big push right now um we do a blueberry gin that's that's i would say is most popular out there um I've, I've been focusing a lot on the vodka lately so uh i vodka was something that i started off with no desire to to really make a good vodka
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, i was kind of making something house for the pub uh, just to pump it through in the house and i was more interested in, in playing with the botanicals and and putting away whiskey has always been, been the number one goal. Um, and then I just kind of got to a point where I don't know, I would drank the vodka a few times and I just didn't like that I didn't have something that I was really proud of. So mm-hmm. it sort of became my project the last uh, six months to make a really nice vodka. Everything was being made out of barley, uh, since we opened. So uh, it was all designed around the whiskey. Um, and I just wasn't making a, a clean vodka out of that. So I started bringing in some different grains, some, some rye and some wheat uh, mm-hmm. from uh, SP grains up in the interior there. So uh, that's helped a lot. And uh, just playing around with the different different cuts, different distilling runs, different uh, filtration methods. So.
0: Well, because you're Shizu Vodka. your are Shizu Vodka. The stuff that you, you, I, I, you sent me, like, that is, that's what I wouldn't, I'm not a flavored vodka guy, obviously. Yeah, um, but I would. I I'm dying to get back behind the bar and just take a few of my <laughs> obscure things um, that I have at home down and just play around with a couple of the youngsters and see yeah. because that Shizo vodka is
1: just that's just mental. Both oh, of them like that's cool. <laughs> that's just crazy, man. Yeah, that was kind of a fun. Uh, that, that's I've done that the last few summers and uh i think like a lot of the things in the bar it comes from a regular uh that that just kind of sits at the bar and i hang out with him all the time and he's married to a, a japanese woman and he's always going back to japan coming back with different spirits um and then he's he's brewing different sakes and stuff and he's just always bringing me these cool these cool uh interesting ideas and we're always talking and uh he started growing shiso in his garden and we made our first, we kind of distilled the batch together. Uh, we didn't quite capture the flavors last year and then, or sorry, the year before. And then last year um, we had some ideas. So he turned his entire patio into basically a shiso garden. And he brought me in like 80 pounds of shiso of red and green. Wow. And uh, we just played with it in a million different ways. Um, some gin's, Different macerating it and cold steeping it and running it through the gin column, and we kind of came up with a combination of both to get the color and the flavor and the aromas out of it. And yeah, it was really that's That's probably my my favorite spirit so far. Yeah,
0: I sure. I love it. I just... it just I'm always I always like to be surprised. Yeah. Um, I find BC spirits do that a lot anyway. Um, and I usually, when I do my tastings, I rarely taste it beforehand. So when I do my tastings, it's usually, I literally ripped the plastic sheath off and cracked it yes. just before I turned the camera on and I taste <laughs> it on camera for the first time. It's only caught me out an, a couple of times where yeah. I'm like, Oh, I wasn't expecting that. Um, <laughs> but nine times out of 10, I'm very pleasantly surprised. Yeah. So, when you talk about whiskey, uh, how much, uh, do you have a lot of time to put down a ton of whiskey or are you just putting down little batches here and there?
1: Little batches, yeah. My goal was to put away six barrels a year um, and try to really vary each barrel as far as the grain build, the cuts, mm-hmm. um, the char, the type of barrel. Uh, so I think I'm up to... Oh, what am I at now? I guess I've got four, eight, twelve. Yeah, maybe fifteen barrels I've got filled so far. Um,
0: all know, sing, all single malt back.
1: barley. So, uh, all barley, yeah, yeah. All single malt, um, single grain. Uh, yeah, I'm getting all the all the barley uh, originally all from the island. Uh, Phillips is malting it up for me. Wow. Um, And we've the last couple we've we've spread out a little bit. I've got a one barrel of rye as well, away as well. So,
0: do you think you'll experiment more with grains going forward as you as you sort of build up on things?
1: Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Are you looking at? You go. Oh, I was just saying. You know, uh, the plans are all very small for it. So I'm you know hoping to kind of sell everything out of the tasting room. Uh, We'll see what it looks like after uh, after all the dust settles from uh, the recent uh, world events. But um, so yeah, just I really like to put stuff away for quite a while too. So, but kind of looking at it economically, it's not really uh, viable to put out Mm -hmm. any kind of big batches. So really, kind of focusing on single barrel releases going forward. Do you think your distillery
0: on the distillery side things will eventually grow to the same size as the brewery? Is that the sort of plan? Are you happy just Having a, as your like tinker toy in the corner to sort of play
1: around and have a little reprieve from brewing beer all the time. Um, no, no, I'd like to grow it for sure. Um, just kind of in the final couple of years of I think getting the brewery as as big as I want to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as like I said, I'm both splitting my time fifty fifty right now, and then uh, in the next year or two, I'd like to, especially when I can start getting some whiskies out, get over to the distillery full time. And really, uh, put in some time. Maybe another still.
0: Nice. Yeah. Right. So, what's what's the plan uh, post COVID? Uh, what? Do you, how many SKUs are you doing beer wise right now?
1: We're doing all of our basically all the same. You know, like we're even pumping out more right now because it's all the sales in bombers and cans. Mm-hmm. Um, we've lost those sort of draft. You know. We usually move a lot of our core, pilsner, dunkel, those kind of things on draft, but we've lost all that. So, it's you know, normally we got to have four batches of pilsner on the go because it takes, you know, eight weeks to, to ferment or to ferment and, and lager. Uh, and we we don't need that anymore. So, you know, we're only selling a little bit of the can. So we've just been pumping out new seasonals and we're just kind of scrambling to get some more labels done up. Uh, cause the liquor stores are just, you, <laughs> what have you done for me lately kind of thing. So, uh, they want to see something new every week, every other week. Um, or we just lose that shelf space. And I think all the breweries are in the same boat right now. So, um, we're probably better off than most being that we didn't rely on a lot of draft accounts. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're not. I mean, we relied on our pub. So I, you know, that's a big loss for us. Uh, you know, we probably send about sixty percent or so uh, on draft, and most of that through our own pub. Oh wow! Um, but you know, a lot of those bigger breweries they're, they're doing eighty plus percent on draft. So yeah, um, that's that's definitely got to hurt. Mid-ball.
0: Um so tell me behind because I think you're the only person that does, it, and it is a Victorian classic. Um, what was the the theory behind doing the shaft? The bottled, the bottled shaft.
1: Yeah, um, I mean that was I don't know. Shaft was was something I always loved, um, <laughs> and the idea. You know, I had a few ideas with it. No one had really packaged it in any form yet. Um, so it was definitely something I wanted to get out right away when I when I got this to going and just kind of thinking of where things to get out while the whiskey's while the whiskey's maturing. Um. You know, I had plans to do a canned shaft originally and have the shaft mixed, -mixed, Mm pre-mixed, you know, spirit in a can. But with the craft distilling license that I've got, we can't package anything under 20%. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't want to make that leap out of craft. So, you know, the craft stipulations, you're using 100% BC grown products, self-distributing, keeping it under a small size. And you're basically... Not, not packaging anything under 20%. And that's just to keep you from pumping out those, uh, the nudes and the, the Pombini mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Um, so once you do get out of that, you know, you get into a commercial license, everything gets kind of blurred. Mm-hmm. And I don't want any distinction between, you know, our, our main products, especially when I start getting the whiskey out that we're, that we are keeping it as local as possible. So, so that was kind of out the window. Um, it kind of settled on a, a shaft liqueur that you could mix yourself. So I experimented a lot with using lactose sugars and that and trying to create a, you know, a crane-based liqueur um, that was kind of encompassed a shaft shot all together, but nothing really worked out too great there. Uh, So I ended up going a little bit stronger, up to a 30%. uh, And then the idea is people can mix it with whatever... Whatever mix they want. A lot of people like to just sip it straight, but you can you can do it you know, with half and half or or any kind of any kind of milk or cream that you like. Do you
0: have a uh, uh, a distillery in BC that you enjoy? Their stuff that
1: comes out. God, everybody on the island's awesome. Um, I mean, even the scene in Vancouver is great. Um, I know the guys at, at, casino pretty well. So, um, yeah, they're, they're great. I've, I'm just getting to meet a lot of the people in the industry. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the Marydale, uh, cocktail, uh, event that they did, I think the last couple of years was the first real event that I've, that I've actually been able to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't, I hadn't had a chance to enter any of the awards or anything like that. um, yeah, I mean, obviously, sharing ham's a, a big one. Actually, uh, I can I can see how Safina
0: would be right up your alley, but the guys out there are a kind of crazy eccentric experimenters
1: mm. like you, too. Like. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, we were <laughs> drinking that. Uh, what did they do? A mango jalapeno.
0: <laughs> it's wow, just like... God, it,
1: was, it was great. It had such a burn to it, but not something I thought I was going to actually enjoy. And I think we polished off like half a bottle up at Mango. <laughs> Yeah,
0: well, um, I'm really glad. I I'm really glad I got to know it behind your passion and 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 what sort of measures takes because, like the brewery distillery thing, I think I'm actually surprised that more distilleries haven't gone into the brewery uh, the distillery side of things just yeah. with the the whole vodka thing and uh, I, I'm hoping in the next couple of years we don't see an explosion. We it's been big for distilleries, but it's nothing compared to the craft brewing thing. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm surprised the more i jumping on board and, and making whiskey because I think whiskey is going to, whiskey, BC whiskey is going to be really big in the next couple of years. Definitely. So, but, uh, I'm going to let you have a couple of hours to to relax before you have to go to bed and uh, be back up again <laughs> and tomorrow.
1: Because you go to Vancouver tomorrow, don't you? Uh, no, yesterday I did Vancouver. Yesterday, Vancouver. So, that, yeah, then uh, my my mom's been around in the pub uh, my dad's been doing the deliveries. I've been doing the Vancouver ones. Um, yeah, it's been a gong show. Seven, seven, days a week, pretty much. Um, then my wife, Julia, here is, uh, we had to actually lay her off. Um, and she, we were just expecting our second kid. Um, Congratulations. but of course, she's still, uh, working, working her butt off as well. So, um, yeah, it's nice. Uh, it's, it's been fun. It kind of reminds me of the early days. Uh, when we first started out, so nice. um, yeah, it's kind of if I hadn't already done it before, it would be a little more daunting. But I know it's just something that we got to uh, kind of work through. So we'll get well, there.
0: I appreciate your time. And as soon as this is all over, I'm going to I'm going to make sure that I uh, make a down for a beer. And I, I think I'm just going to hang out with the tasting room one day and just taste through a whole bunch of your stuff.
1: Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. We'll yeah, have to get, get, we'll have get stuff day, like- underneath the counter. I, I I sort of put a warning that was, that we're kinda of running real low on spirits right now. So I've been making sanitizer nonstop since it since it started and then uh we just kinda of ran out of gin and scared me a bit. So I picked up <laughs> some more and from some uh Phillips uh, a couple of days ago and uh uh I gotta get, get distilling all weekend, so amazing. Be, we'll be up and running soon. Awesome.
0: Well thank you very much for your time, sir. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, John. Yeah. Thanks, man. I'll catch you
1: soon. All right, to right, two I'm gonna for that.